Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. If you're a small business owner, you know that it isn't just your business, it's your life. And whatever your business might be, you want someone who understands. That's why you might want to check out State Farm Small Business Insurance. Why? Because State Farm agents are small business owners too, living and working in your community. That means they know what it takes to help you personalize your policies for your small business needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. What's the cost of keeping secrets? I'm Sean Ailing, and I'm your host for Vox Conversations. Let's be honest. I have secrets. So do you. So does everyone else. This is one of the many things human beings do. We hide stuff from other people. But why do we do this? Are we afraid of intimacy? Or are we ashamed of our past? And perhaps more importantly, what does all that secrecy cost us? These are questions a new book tries to answer. It's called The Secret Life of Secrets. And the author is Michael Slepian, a psychologist at Columbia University. He spent a decade studying secrets and has a lot to say about what they are and what motivates them. So I invited him onto the show to talk about what distinguishes a secret from a lie, what kinds of secrets are most common, and why he thinks that ultimately we should find ways to let our secrets go. And that's something that Slepian knows from experience. Michael Slepian, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Well, this book of yours opens with you recounting how a kind of 10 megaton secret was dropped into your lap that sort of exploded (laughs) your life a little bit. It sounds like you were already studying secrets long before you found this out, but was that part of the impetus for this particular book? So yes and no. I was doing those studies and I was presenting those studies to people at the same time as I learned this major family secret. In fact, literally at the same time, I'm on interview at Columbia for the position I have now. And so I'm showing people this brand new research on secrecy. And that's my entire day. And at the end of this day, I'm still with these folks. We're having dinner. We get drinks afterward. And then at some point around midnight, I get this call from my dad. And I'm like, my dad, why is he calling me at midnight? That's so weird. Yeah, not normal. And then he calls me a second time. And I'm like, oh no, something terrible has happened. And I assume someone died or something tragic. And I'm like, okay, I have to call him back. I call him back. And he says, Michael, I have to tell you something. I think you should sit down for this. And then he tells me that he's not biologically able to have children. He's telling me that he's not my biological father. And as you can imagine, that's totally surprising and shocking. 
But the first thing I thought to myself was, this is okay. You know, I thought I don't choose my friends based off genetics. What does it matter if you know my parents are genetically related to me? But it was the secret keeping that really shocked me. It turned out that everyone in my family, apart from my younger brother and myself, knew the secret the whole time. Well, it's so relevant, right? I mean, a lot of academics who study whatever it is that they study, it can feel very abstract, right? And then suddenly, boom, you're hit with this secret that is kind of at the core of your identity and your life. Did that concretize anything for you in any particular way? Did it sort of like kind of change how you thought about secrets in general, having collided with one that gigantic in your own life? What was so relevant to what I was understanding about secrecy, the science at the time, was I asked my parents, what was it like to keep this secret? And they told me it wasn't something that was difficult to hold back in conversations because it's really easy to not let that like long, complicated story just fill out of your mouth. That's just not how it goes. And so once in a while, their mind would return to this. And they said that's when it became a problem, that it wasn't hiding in conversation that was difficult. It was having to return to their decision over and over and start wondering, did we make the right decision? And as we got older, they started becoming less sure. And that matched exactly what I was finding in my research at the time, that the hard part of having a secret doesn't seem those moments when we're in conversation. That turns out to be the easy part. It's having to live with the secret alone and being unsure whether you're doing the right thing. Oh, yeah. Well, let's back up a little bit to clarify something. And I just want to ask you, what is a secret? Because this does feel like everyone knows what a secret is, right? More or less. It seems so obvious that it almost feels like it doesn't even demand a definition, but it actually does. That's exactly right. And so the definition turns out to be really important here. I define secrecy as an intention, the intention to withhold information from one or more people. And why that definition is so important, the sort of old idea of thinking about the secrecy before I came into the picture was that secrecy is an action holding something back in conversation. And the reason we can't define a secret that way is that's not what all secrets look like. Some secrets you never have to hold back in conversation. They never come up in conversation. No one ever asks you about it. That doesn't mean it's not a secret. And so a secret is this intention to hold back information and your mind can return to this intention time and time again. And that turns out to be where the problems begin. Is it too much to say that by understanding secrecy not as an action or not as something we do, that you almost sort of think of it as a way of being or as a kind of orientation in the world. That's right. Secrecy is sort of this enduring psychological state, whether or not you have to hide a secret in a conversation. If holding secrets in conversations was the hard part, secrecy would be quite easy because that doesn't happen very often. But our secrets don't just disappear after those conversations. They exist beforehand and afterward. At what age do we become psychologically capable of keeping a secret? If it's about intention and therefore also about being able to imagine other people's minds, like toddlers can't do that, right? I mean, my son turns three next week. I'm not sure he can keep a secret, but he definitely knows when he's done something wrong and he's definitely capable of trying to hide that thing he did wrong, but I'm not sure he's actually capable of keeping a secret. Where's the line there in terms of development? You're drawing the line exactly in the right place. So the skill for secrecy is something that comes gradually and in degrees. And you can start seeing hints about that ability right now at around age three. And then by the time kids are six, 
they're much better at understanding other people's minds. They're much better at understanding their own minds, and they start getting better at keeping secrets. So around ages three to five, a secret that children might try to keep, unfortunately for their parents, is wetting their bed or wetting their pants and trying to keep that secret. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Another way that kids will try to keep a secret is just denying it. So they're not very competent yet at it, but they'll just deny something that's so plainly obvious, denying that they've gotten into the cookies, except for having cookie crumbs all over their lips, for example. But when we get to age six, they start having a little bit more elegance in the stories that they tell, and they become more believable. So, for example, blaming the cat for a broken vase rather than a ghost. Why do we keep secrets in general? Is it mostly about protecting ourselves? Is it mostly about protecting other people? Is it mostly about fear or compassion or some mix of all of the above? It's all of the above. The common thread through those things is protecting something. People think they're protecting themselves. People think they're protecting other people or their relationships with other people. And you can understand that sometimes it feels like you're doing the right thing, that maybe everyone's better off, especially yourself. People don't know this thing. But there are times when we draw the line in the wrong place where maybe everyone would be better off if you revealed that thing. And it's actually not going to go as poorly as you expect it to go. And there's a lot to be gained from revealing a secret. What are the most common secrets people keep? You have some interesting charts in the book about this, but I want the audience to have a sense of what you discovered here. Some of the most common secrets include romantic desire, issues around money and finances, sex, which will come as no surprise. Family secrets are quite common. Secret ambitions, being unhappy with something, whether it's your social life, your physical appearance, your romantic life, issues around mental health, violating another person's trust. I could keep going. It's still not clear to me, even reading through your book, which secrets are truly worth keeping. I mean, you say all people have secrets, but not all secrets are alike. Some of them don't hurt and some of them do. Which secrets tend to hurt the most and why? Or is it the secrets that involve our identity? Is it the secrets that involve feelings of shame that tend to weigh on us the most? You're right that identity and experiences of shame will hurt us more when it comes to our secrets, having secrets related to those issues. What cuts across those is having our mind frequently returned to the secret time and time again. And so it turns out that it's not the secrets that we frequently have to conceal in conversation that harm us the most. It's the secrets our minds keep returning to time and time again that hurt us the most. The secrets that we ruminate on, those are the ones that are particularly harmful. Which are the ones that we ruminate on the most? The secrets that we feel ashamed with, we ruminate on frequently. The secrets we feel inauthentic for keeping the secrets we feel isolated with, and then the secrets we feel the least sure about, the most uncertain, those are the secrets we frequently ruminate on. When we keep a secret, we're choosing to be alone with something. And when we're entirely alone with something that's upsetting or bothering us, we tend not to develop healthy ways of thinking about those things. And I think that's cutting across these issues where there's something important to be done, but you're not doing it well or not doing it at all because you're doing it alone. Well, what is the difference then between being secretive and just being private? Because being secretive makes it sound like, I don't know, you're being a little duplicitous or conniving or whatever. And 
merely being private, that doesn't connote anything bad, right? Like everyone is entitled to privacy. What is the difference there? It comes back to this intention. And so there's plenty of things that people don't know about you that are not secret. And maybe it's just because those things haven't come up. Or maybe it's because they're private. And so what I consider privacy is it's something you would tell someone, but only someone you're very close to. And so someone who's more distant from you, you wouldn't feel comfortable opening up about something private. Your romantic partner, however, you might feel more comfortable revealing something like that. And so if it's just a matter of you need someone to be close to you to reveal that, that's privacy. But if someone were to ask you about it and you intentionally want to withhold that truth from another person, now we're talking about secrecy. So it's that intention to hold it back. Yeah, but you could intend to keep something private too, right? I mean, something you say in the book is that the more immoral we consider an experience or an action or whatever, the more we tend to think of that as a secret as opposed to being private. But it seems to me intentionality is involved in privacy and secrecy. So it's still not totally clear to me where the line is, in part maybe because the line is just blurry. The line can be blurry, and that's right. And so you can have an intention to keep something private. Like, I'm not going to discuss my sex life with anyone. But where we can carve out secrecy from that is we're talking about a specific sexual experience that you don't want people to know about. And it's not because you're not comfortable talking about sex. It's because you don't want people to know this thing about you. Well, what's the difference between keeping a secret and being deceitful? So the connection between secrecy and lying is quite interesting because a lie is a type of secret where imagine you've told something untrue and it's a really big thing and you don't want people to learn the truth. You're intentionally withholding this truth from others. That's a kind of secret. In fact, that's the most common kind of secret, having this truth that you're holding back from other people. Also, lying is a way to keep a secret. And so you can keep a secret by just never talking about it. You can keep a secret by trying to avoid someone who's relevant to the secret, or you can keep a secret by just saying something that's not true. This is, again, why we can't define a secret by the actions you take to keep it, because there's so many different actions you could take to keep it, or no action at all. So it doesn't require maintaining. It just never comes up in conversation. Yeah. Well, you mentioned lying, obviously, and we can't <laughs> talk about secrets without also talking about lying. And there are different kinds of lies. There are White lies that we tell for trivial reasons. Yes, you look great in those jeans or whatever. You tell those lies to protect someone's feelings. There are malicious lies we tell in order to hurt or deceive someone. And there are lies we tell in defense of secrets, sometimes in defense of positive secrets, mm -hmm. planning a surprise party for someone and you keep that secret from them. Do you see this kind of lying as distinct? or maybe less immoral than, say, malicious lies? Certainly telling a lie, if we're not talking about white lies, comes with some degree of risk. First of all, someone could one day find out you told something that wasn't true. And so what's interesting about lying is in the heat of a moment in a conversation, it could be the easiest way to keep a secret. Someone asks you point blank about something, and to dodge it would require you to say, I don't want to answer that question, which would be incredibly awkward, or to just try to move the conversation in another direction, which actually can be quite effective, simply responding with a question of your own, introducing a brand new topic to a conversation. These are ways to answer a question without revealing a secret and without lying, but sometimes that doesn't feel like an option. 
And so lying can be the easiest way to keep a secret, but it's also the most risky. And so I would advise someone who's in the heat of the moment trying to hold something back to try something else first, asking a question of your own, saying, oh my God, I'm so hungry. Can we find lunch? Let's eat. Whatever it is, there are other ways to keep a secret than telling a lie. We're going to take a quick break, but when we're back, is keeping a secret, any secret, a kind of betrayal? Did you know the Capital Ideas podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin? Through the words and experiences of investment professionals, you'll discover who was their best mentor, what's a mistake they made that changed their approach, and how do they find their next great idea. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. Support for the gray area comes from Burrow. Getting the right furniture for your place can be really annoying. At this point in my life, I've probably gone through maybe three sets of outdoor deck furniture, and it's a pain in the ass for a different reason every single time. It doesn't look like it did in the pictures, the assembly isn't what they said it was, or it's just not as advertised for whatever reason. Thankfully, Burrow is the furniture company that wants to make it all a little easier. Last year, Burrow introduced their outdoor line, and this spring they're adding to it with their Dunes line, offering new seating, dining, and lounger options designed for luxury, comfort, and durability. Burrow furniture is easy to put together and take apart, so you can move or store it as needed. And it ships straight to your door for free. Gray Area listeners can get 15% off their first order at burrow.com slash box. That's burrow, B-U-R-R-O-W dot com slash box for 15% off. Borough.com slash box. Well, part of the case you make for unburdening ourselves <laughs> and telling our secrets to people we trust is that keeping secrets does have a way, for reasons we'll get into, of eroding trust between people. Does lying in order to protect positive secrets or secrets, even if they are positive, does that still erode trust from people? Just keeping secrets of any kind for whatever reason erode trust between people or are there distinctions there? There are important exceptions and positive secrets are a great example. Positive secrets might require you to watch what you say. It might require you to tell a lie, to cover up a positive secret. You know, we're talking about a surprise party, some big surprise gift, a marriage proposal, a pregnancy that a couple's been trying to get happening. These are things that work very differently. And it turns out the reason is, is not just because we feel good about those secrets, but we feel really in control over those secrets. And that leads those secrets to be exciting and energizing. Is there a clear difference between positive and negative secrets? Because I feel like this is somewhere where the story you tell yourself about why you're keeping a particular secret can do a lot of work in turning a negative secret into a positive secret. You know what I mean? So the positive secrets that we can clearly mark as totally distinct are the ones that the reason we're keeping them is to reveal them later in a very surprising way. That I can very clearly say those are different and people don't think it's wrong to lie in service of keeping a positive secret. And I think one of the reasons why is 
the intention for most of those positive secrets is to eventually reveal them, and that seems to change things. But I can give you an example of what I consider positive secrets, but what blurs the line a little bit. Okay. And these are things that we feel good about, but we don't want other people to know about them because we don't want to talk about them with other people who wouldn't understand. Secret hobbies often fall under this umbrella. So this is something we enjoy doing, but we don't tell other people because they just wouldn't get it or they would disapprove or think it's weird. This includes things like playing video games, watching children's shows, watching soap operas, knitting, collecting stamps, meditating. These are things that a lot of people do in secret because they think other people around them won't get it. Or they'll judge them. Or they'll judge them even negatively. And so that's where the blurring happens. Okay. So what if you have some kind of weird, quirky hobby or just some strange thing <laughs> you're into that other people might find surprising or for whatever reason you hide from your friends or your partner, or family members or whatever? Is that kind of secrecy an act of betrayal? Will it be perceived that way? What does it say about the relationship? If you feel like you have to keep something like that secret, because maybe the person upon learning that would think, oh, you don't trust me? You think I'm going to judge you for just telling me who you are and what you're into? Like, what are we here? Is there something to that? If it's someone very close to you, you're right. If it's someone very close to you who would expect you to share all your life with them, it would feel upsetting to learn that you're intentionally holding something back from them, even something like a hobby. If it's something you just got into and you haven't decided whether you're into it yet or not, I think that's okay. But if it's something you've been persistently doing and you're intentionally holding it back, then yeah, I think people would feel betrayed that you didn't feel comfortable opening up to them. No one wants their friends to not feel comfortable opening up to them. Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. But can friendships, can relationships, romantic relationships, survive without secrets? Seems to me that... I'm not sure they could. Maybe that says something terrible about me. But I don't know. I mean, you're the expert here, right? Do you think our relationships could remain intact if we were totally transparent about everything all the time? I think it would lead to some bumpiness. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's one way to put it. <laughs> I, I think we hold secrets back for the right reasons sometimes. White lies was one example. Yeah. Your friend asks you, how do they look? And you're like just arriving at the party and it's too late to change or to do anything about it. You say the nice thing. Yeah. People will agree saying something kind and nice is better than being brutally honest. There's no need to needlessly hurt someone's feelings when there's nothing that can be done about it. Most people agree it's compassionate to keep that kind of secret and kind. Another example is sometimes just too soon to reveal something, but like a week later, it's better to reveal it then. And so maybe it's something you're going to only keep temporarily secret. Maybe it's you're protecting their feelings. If someone just says something nasty about your partner, there's not a lot of good reason to pass that on if it's just going to make them feel bad. And that's the only consequence. Boy, it's not hard to imagine some really thorny scenarios, right? Like, let's say you're sexually unsatisfied with your partner. They're a cost of that unsatisfaction that every adult listening can understand. But communicating the reasons, perhaps, for that unsatisfaction might be devastating or might really hurt the other person. So you have a choice to make in that case, right? You can stop withholding that and be completely honest about it, but the price of that may be too high or catastrophic. What's your counsel then? What do you do? <laughs> I think you're right that in a situation like that, you want to be careful. 
And so in situations like this, I think what the goal is, can you start working toward this thing that you want to change without being totally blunt <laughs> about where it's coming from? You know, can we introduce this in different degrees and different shades of gray? And maybe there's just a very small little thing you could do to try to suggest something to get started rather than just coming out and just saying something that will be totally shocking, sort of slowly work your way into it. Okay, so obviously one of the big lies, <laughs> it's in the chart, infidelity, okay? This, in terms of the trade-offs, it's hard for me to imagine a more weighty one, where if you're someone who has been unfaithful in your relationship, and let's say you have a family, you have children, just to create maximal complication, the cost of telling that truth or revealing that secret could be the destruction of your family and lifelong trauma for your children. But the price of keeping that secret might be psychologically catastrophic as well. I'm not asking you to tell people <laughs> you know, what they should do or what they shouldn't do, but maybe I'm asking you, what should that decision calculus look like? The few things to consider first is what is the reason you want to tell the person? Is it just that you just can't think about this thing in your head anymore and you want to get it off your chest and just get it out in the open and not have to deal with it as a secret anymore? If that's the reason you want to reveal the secret, if it's just to make yourself feel better, the risk, of course, is that it makes you feel better. Now it's off your chest, but it could make your partner feel a whole lot worse. And so the question is, when is that the right thing to do? Other things to think about are, is this a one-time issue? If this is a one-time issue and it's not going to come up again, there are folks who would advise you to say, yeah, don't reveal it because this is not some larger problem. If this thing's never going to happen again, if it's just going to make your partner feel worse and that's it over this one-time thing, folks would say, yeah, maybe that's a stone better left unturned. If it's a repeat problem, if this is something that's continuously happening, that's too big of a problem to hold back, I would say, where, you know, if you're a repeat offender, it's a much bigger deal to be holding this issue back. And the final consideration is, would your partner want to know this? And that's a hard question to know the answer to, but I can tell you about a study where I asked a couple hundred people about this situation. Imagine your partner one time totally regrettable mistake. They were out of town. They were drunk. They would never do this again, this like huge slip up, and it would just never happen again. Would you want to know? And about 75% of people said yes, which really surprised me, actually. I was surprised by that too. And you know what? I really wonder, the more I thought about it, the less surprising it was. But it, I really do wonder if the difference between theory and practice is really significant here, right? A lot of people think they would want to know that, but if they really learned it and there was no going back, but it blew up their life, I wonder how many people in retrospect would say, you know what, maybe it was better. <laughs> maybe ignorance was bliss in this case. I don't know, but boy, that's a big number. I thought it'd be closer to half. Yeah, so did I. And so one thing is maybe I should have run this study again, where after people give their answer, I just ask a follow-up, which is, are you sure? <laughs> but besides that, besides sort of wondering whether we've got the percentage correct or not, another way of thinking about this is one in four people said very decisively that they wouldn't want to know. I mean, that sounds like a big number to me too. And so the best thing you can do when you're grappling with these 
complexities with this decision that is such a significant decision with such huge ramifications. There is no reason you should be figuring this out on your own. It's way too complicated to figure out on your own. And so the best thing you can do is find someone that you know can keep the secret safe, that you trust, and see what they think and start considering these different options and scenarios. I also think people tend to underestimate the cost of living with a lie of that magnitude. If you have a partner that you love, that you really love, and your entire relationship is kind of maimed by this lie that you're keeping to yourself, you feel less than as a result of that. And I would venture to guess it's hard to fully appreciate how that manifests, but surely it does. There's a huge cost on that end as well, that maybe it's harder to measure, but nevertheless, very real, right? Yeah, there's the cost there of having to live with this thing on your own that's so significant that would just change everything if it came out. I think also when you choose to keep something like that a secret, you're essentially robbing your partner's agency in this situation. You're not giving them the chance to make a decision about something that maybe they would want to know about. And so it can be just so complicated. And this is why, again, you really shouldn't be figuring this out on your own. It's too consequential. There's too many factors. And we know from the research that people aren't as effective at dealing with these kinds of decisions, at coping with these kinds of problems on their own. And so find someone else that you can use as a sounding board. We're going to take one last short break. When we come back, what's the cost of keeping secrets for the secret keepers? Support for the gray area comes from Greenlight. If you're a parent of teenagers, you might be starting conversations about money management and financial literacy. So often, the best way to learn is to do. But when it comes to money, there can be real consequences to learning the hard way. That's where Greenlight comes in. Greenlight is a debit card and money app made for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on their spending and saving. And kids and teens can build money confidence and lifelong financial skills. My kid is way too young to talk money with, thank God. But I have a colleague here at Vox that uses Greenlight with his boys, and he loves it. If you want to help your kids learn about money, consider Greenlight. It's a convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and for families to navigate this stuff together. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash gray area. That's greenlight.com slash gray area to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash gray area. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You've heard it before. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. But it's more than just a tagline. Because State Farm agents are small business owners themselves who live and work in your community. And if you're in the market for small business insurance, who better to work with than an agent who understands what it takes? State Farm agents can help you create a personalized insurance plan that fits your small business needs and budget. Talk to your local State Farm agent today about small business insurance. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. We've been talking a lot about the person or the people maybe affected by your secret or involved in your secret. Mm -hmm. But I'm really interested in what it's doing to the secret holder, him or herself. And in the book, you talk about shame and 
isolation and feelings of phoniness or inauthenticity. What would you say is the primary or the heaviest cost of keeping secrets for the person keeping the secret? So we see shame, isolation, uncertainty, inauthenticity. Of all of those, the one that seems to be the most harmful is shame. Mm. And the reason for that is shame is this global negative evaluation of yourself. And if you feel worthless, powerless, small, it's really hard to change that. It's really hard to just not feel ashamed and just to sort of ignore that. But there is a way forward if that's something that is holding you back, which is that if shame is a negative evaluation of the self, if you can just redirect that negative evaluation to the behavior in question, that's what we call guilt. And so rather than thinking yourself as a bad person, you can say, I did something bad. And what's so helpful about reframing it in that manner is you don't have to do that thing again next time. You can act differently next time. People change. You can learn from your past. You can draw a lesson. You can do something going forward differently. And that shifts the negative evaluation from your whole self to something you did in the past. Even experiences of trauma where you didn't do anything, you were the victim, that can come with a lot of shame. And so one reason that I could convince you to not feel ashamed about those things is these are things that are common experiences. These are things that people commonly keep secret. As isolating as it can feel to have a secret, we all keep the same kinds of secrets. And so you're not alone. There are other people with that secret and there are people you can talk to. You know, an example coming to my mind is, say, a victim of sexual abuse, whether it's when they were a child or as an adult. That seems like the kind of thing that someone might keep buried out of shame or they don't want to feel judged. They don't want to be seen as broken. That seems like an example where all the evidence we have suggests that that is misguided, that you would be better off letting that go, that the shame is, while real, also sort of artificial and it can melt away once you let go of that fear. But also, I haven't been a victim of sexual abuse. And so I don't want to speak, you know, I don't understand that experience at all. So I'm not judging anyone if they are in that position and they are keeping that a secret, but I'm just, it seems like the kind of example worth bringing up. Something like that. I think everyone has the right to hold that kind of information back. And you might be worried that that would change how people see you. That would be a fair reason to hold that secret back. When we're thinking about secrets, we're often thinking about them as this harmful thing that weighs us down or holds us back or damages our relationships. But there's a totally different way of thinking about a secret. And people too often forget about this, that a secret is this powerful thing that we can reveal to someone to bring us closer to that person, to deepen a relationship. And so if there was someone you felt comfortable revealing that to, it would be this profound act of intimacy to show this trust for them, to make yourself vulnerable to them. That is one of the most powerful things we can do in a relationship to show that courage. It's one of the most intimate social disclosures we can make to just open up totally. Yeah. The point about inauthenticity seems really important to me, in part because I just, I can connect with that personally. And you say in the book that we may not want our secrets to be known, but we do want ourselves to be known. And navigating that tension is important to our relationships with other people. 
And something I've noticed about myself is that the parts of myself I'm willing to reveal vary so much with context. And that means the version of me at work or with family or with certain friend groups is incomplete. And in that sense, somewhat inauthentic, right? I mean, what is a relationship between secrecy and inauthenticity? Because feeling like you're a fraud is a very common thing and also a very debilitating and weighty thing. I can completely relate to this idea of feeling like you have different selves in, in different contexts. And there's one whole self where they all add up together. And, you know, very few people see that completely full self, you know, maybe a romantic partner. When people feel inauthentic for keeping a secret, it comes down to one of two reasons. Either you feel that you are not being true to yourself, or you feel like you're not being true to the relationship and sort of what's expected of the relationship. And so if it's the relationship one, this is the easier question or the easier answer. If you feel like you're not upholding the rules of the relationship, it may be the kind of thing that you need to be forthcoming about or find a way to fix because that will be important to the relationship. If you feel like you're not being true to yourself, that's a tough one. And I don't know if I have the answer, but I think it's useful to know that a lot of people have that experience of having different selves in different contexts. One thing we've seen in our research is when we remind people that, that that's normal and that it's totally reasonable to shift yourself with context, you can feel authentic in that decision as in, I feel like this is the kind of person I want to be at work. And even though it's different from the kind of person I am with my friends, I'm authentically presenting this work self that I want to show to my colleagues. Yeah, I mean, that like bullshit about bring your whole self to work or something like that. I mean, that's kind of silly, right? I mean, part of what it is to just be in the world is you, you have to change a little. You have to be fluid and know where you are and kind of act accordingly. But there is a line. So like in my case, I have some, some hippie instincts in me and also have a lot of bro kind of instincts in me. And it's amazing how effortlessly I can code switch <laughs> based on like where I am and who I'm with. But, you know, I do sometimes feel that there is a price for doing that. And the price for me is feeling like I'm often hiding something, like a part of myself from people, mostly because I don't want them to judge me or make fun of me or like give me a weird look or whatever. And that's probably pretty common. But also, I think in my moments where I've been more courageous on that front and just kind of said, I don't give a shit, it's almost always worked out. I've always felt better doing that. And yet it's still very, very hard. Again, that just seems mostly about fear. Yeah. Right? You keep in the secret because you don't want to be judged. Most experiences of revealing something that you're a little nervous to reveal go well. Yeah. We see that the average response to confiding something or revealing something is a positive response. It's usually much more positive than our worst fears. People are understanding. People are accepting. People appreciate when you are opening up to them. Well, again, just bringing it back to the person keeping the secret, I love your emphasis on the time secrets steal from us. Like the time we spend thinking about our secrets, worrying about our secrets, revisiting them in our mind, that leads to insecurity. And that wastes an enormous amount of precious attention and presence in your life. It's almost never worth that. 
Maybe sometimes it is, but I feel justified in saying it's almost never really truly worth it. An easy way out of those negative cycles of thinking is just bringing another person in. It's so easy to get caught up in rumination and rehashing the past and just getting another perspective into it. Just having someone else in that conversation can help you out of those negative thought loops for sure. Am I right in my intuition that the overwhelming reason people keep secrets is that they simply don't want to be judged? I mean, your point about immorality seems to buttress that. But is that right? Am I right in thinking that? Yeah. And you should know people never judge us as harshly as we expect them to. Yeah. They know what it's like to live in this same world. And they know that life is hard and sometimes we make the wrong decisions and sometimes we regret the decisions we make or we know that there's a lot of gray area when it comes to moral issues. People are understanding, especially if they're close to you. And who we're keeping the secrets from matters, right? Friends, colleagues, family, your partner, that all seems different, right? Keeping a secret from your partner seems to enact the heaviest toll because that's the person you're around the most. And so that takes the most effort as opposed to keeping a secret from people you work with. Well, that's a little easier because you don't spend as much time with them, right? Another reason why keeping a secret from a partner feels the hardest is also that's the relationship with the strongest expectation of openness and honesty. And if what you're saying is true, right? If the experience of most people is when they do show their vulnerability and open up, it's not as bad as you think it's going to be. Usually, you not only feel better and lighter, but you receive more love. <laughs> and the person that you reveal a secret to feels closer to you because you trusted them, right? And if that's the case, why don't we just do it more? Like, what the hell? Why are we torturing ourselves in these ways? Is fear just irrational and that's the end of it? Or is there something else to say about that? I think one reason why we don't reveal our secrets, even though that it's going to go better than we expect it to, and even though the average response is helpful and kind and compassionate, is that it's hard to find the right time to reveal a secret, especially if it's something big and you've just been waiting for that perfect moment to, to finally reveal it. And I think the issue of waiting for that perfect moment is it just never comes. And so you have to create that situation yourself, and that's what makes it difficult. Revealing something might require some bravery or some courage. And if that's the issue, even though it's hard to find that courage, one thing to know is when you finally do reveal it, people will recognize that that was an act of bravery and they'll appreciate it. They'll understand that that wasn't easy to talk about and take that into consideration. I feel like we've talked a lot about the cognitive toll. Is there a physical toll? If I'm not misremembering this, I think in the book you say that like the average person keeps 13 secrets. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, and I know a common question you get is like, am, am I more secretive than the average person? I guess that's the line, right? If you've got more than 13, you are more secretive than the average person. But do we pay a physical price for holding on to a lot of secrets? Does it make us less well? Does it make us less healthy, more tired, whatever? Mm -hmm. Yes, but it's not because of the specific secrets. So the kind of person who keeps a lot of secrets, is the kind of person who, rather than trying to deal with problems, just tries to brush them to the side. If your default way of dealing with something emotionally difficult is to just not talk about it, you are also the kind of person who generally probably has poor non-adaptive coping strategies. 
trying to ignore problems rather than dealing with them, trying to not work through emotionally difficult experiences rather than talking about them with others and not opening up when it would be so beneficial to do so. And so people who chronically keep secrets, people who have a habit of secret keeping, we see lower physical health and more symptoms of poor health. Is there a certain kind of person who is better at keeping secrets? (laughs) What's the personality type? One personality trait that predicts keeping fewer secrets is extroversion. (laughs) And so I think someone who's just talkative and fills up every space in the room just lets their secrets slip because they're just talking and just talking and talking. But also they're not in their head as much, right? They're not worrying so much. They're not as fearful. Yeah. People who are emotionally stable, which is sort of the modern way of saying not neurotic, also keep fewer secrets for the same reason, sort of not being in your head and worrying. What's that like? Oh, man. All right. I did take some comfort in the fact that you found that secrets tend to impact all of us in very similar ways, no matter where we're from, whether the South or the North or America or somewhere else, right? Which, if nothing else, says this is just a human thing. It's a universal human thing. Yeah, we see that the secrets that people keep, the kinds of secrets that people keep, and how they affect us leading to experiences of shame, guilt, isolation, inauthenticity. These are experiences that I see all across the world. We've surveyed people all over the world and see they keep the same kind of secrets and they affect us in similar ways. And so if you're struggling with a secret, that's something to remember. We all keep the same secrets. We all have the same experiences with them. Is there something to this idea, perhaps silly, that keeping secrets or having a lot of secrets on some level makes us more interesting or mysterious or something like that? When I think about that question, I think about sort of what are we keeping secret? And if you have some really interesting, fun fact from your past, that's not the kind of thing you keep secret. That's the kind of thing you carefully reveal at the right time. And so Is there something about someone who just keeps a lot of secrets and you don't know anything about those people and that they're mysterious? Those are the kind of people who also we feel like we don't know very well and we just want to get past whatever is holding them back. And so I think people will find that kind of person frustrating to get to know. We say at the end of the book that if someone takes just one lesson, that you hope it's this idea that if you have a secret that is bothering you, you should really consider sharing it with someone you trust. How important is it to pick the right person to share it with? And I guess more importantly, how the hell do you do that? So you don't have to reveal it to the person you're keeping it from. Hmm. But if you find someone else to talk about it, it can be so helpful. People who turn out to be helpful include people who are compassionate, someone who will be non-judgmental, caring, empathic. Another thing people find very helpful in a confidant is that person being assertive because that's someone who will push you to do the thing that you know you need to do or will push you to figure out what you need to do. Things to not look for, people don't like to confide in people who seem overly concerned with the rules and norms. Another thing is to consider, would this person be totally scandalized by what you're telling them? And if so, you probably shouldn't choose that person. We see if someone finds what you're revealing to be morally objectionable, they're more likely to reveal that to a third party, essentially as a form of punishment. And so you want to choose someone with a similar set of morals as you for that reason. What's the best way to divulge a secret, right? I mean, I, I assume you don't want to 
blindside someone, I assume it's better to give them a heads up of some kind and not to make it too dramatic. Yeah. Do you have any counsel there? You know, if it's something really serious and that's going to require a really big conversation, yeah, heads up. I'd like to talk to you about something, maybe even previewing what it's about. If it's not something huge and significant or weighty, you know, just waiting for a moment where you're feeling really good, like you're feeling really connected in that moment for whatever reason. If you have that moment of bravery, then do it. So in other words, if you get that urge, just just freaking jump, right? Yeah. Just jump. Yeah. Well, in the end, I do feel like, and this is a point you make in the book, we should truly ask ourselves why we're keeping something secret. Because the answer to that will probably clarify a lot. And I'll get you out of here with this. What is your advice to someone who really does want to interrogate themselves honestly in the hopes of letting burdensome secrets go? How should they start? I think asking yourself, what are you protecting by keeping the secret? Are you protecting yourself in some way? Do you think that if this got out, this would hurt your reputation in some manner or make people think of you differently? Is it that you're worried about hurting somebody else? Once you understand what this fear is, what specifically you're concerned about, then you can start wondering whether it's appropriately placed or misplaced. And this is something you don't have to figure out on your own. If you find someone removed from it all or find someone that you trust, you can work it out with them. You don't have to be alone in this decision. Well, before I do let you go, I do want to reinforce that point that you made just a minute ago because it does feel really important. If you want to let go of a secret, the first person you reveal it to doesn't have to be the person you're keeping it from in particular. It can be just a friend or someone else you trust. And maybe sharing it with them first will clear the mental debris <laughs> or give you the courage or the conviction to maybe share it with the person who really deserves to hear it the most. Yeah, that's right. Well, look, I really enjoyed this conversation. The book is called The Secret Life of Secrets. It's a super fun, accessible book about something I think everyone can relate to. Michael Slepian, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Box Conversations is produced by Eric Janikis. Our editor is Amy Drozdowska. Patrick Boyd mixed and mastered this episode. Our theme music was dreamed up by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. And Amber Hall is the deputy editorial director of Vox Talk. If you like the show, let us know. Can we improve? We want to hear that too. We're curious to know what you think, what you want more of, what we could improve. And if you have ideas for future guests or topics, send us your thoughts at voxconversations at vox.com. And hey, if you did like this episode, please share it with your friends and rate and review. And join us Thursday for a brand new episode of Box Conversations.